Welcome to Brit Happens. I'm your host, Brittany Sharpton. Brit Happens is an interview-based audio show where successful entrepreneurs, professionals, and thought leaders discuss how they've navigated unexpected career curveballs and turned setbacks into wins and stumbling blocks into stepping stones. This is the Helmets to Velvets, Tackles to Tables episode featuring Daryl Sharpton. That was really a great moment of triumph for me to come back from that injury. And I'll never forget, go back to that person and say, hey, look, I told you I was going to come back from it. But I actually did. And I told him multiple times in front of everybody. I said, hey, Roland, you remember when you told me I wasn't going to be able to come back from this injury? I remember I couldn't stop telling him that. When I was in high school, high school coach stood in front of the whole team and said, let's be honest, none of you guys in here are good enough to play college football. And just moments like that are just moments that literally light a fire in me. Good morning, Daryl. How are you? Good morning, Brittany. I'm good. I'm good. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Daryl Sharpton is the founder of Edlo Finch, the premier modern mid-century furniture company. So, Daryl, how did you get into the furniture business? Good question. So, I've always been a hustler, so to speak. I was always trying to find different ways to make money in college, uh, in high school, middle school, from selling Christmas trees to selling lollipops and snicker bars in, in school. So I was always trying to find little side hustles, even before then selling unripe grapefruits that look like limes. I would sell them door to door as, as limes, even though they were unripe grapefruits. I was always looking for different avenues to make money. And that same mentality brought me to try to sell sofas when I was in college part-time. I would buy them from a wholesaler for, let's say, $300. And then I'll only mark them up by $50 on Craigslist. Because, you know, when you're a college student, $50 is a lot of money. A lot of money. Right. So I'll mark them up by 50 bucks, charge 350 for a sofa on Craigslist. And before you know it, I was getting calls left and right. People were blowing my phone up and I was just selling a ton of sofas just right out of my college apartment, which I turned into a showroom. And I said, wow, <laughs> this furniture business is crazy. Like uh, sofas are really a staple in people's lives. So I really I really became obsessed with the business of selling furniture. So after that, my furniture selling career was cut short when I was drafted to the NFL, but I still kept that love for furniture in my heart. And I played, I went ahead and played five, a little over five years of professional football. And as soon as I retired, I still had that passion for furniture and that, that obsession for wanting to sell sofas. So boom, immediately after that, I talked with my wife and we agreed that I should continue my furniture passion. So that's, that's kind of how it all started. And you know, now we we manufacture furniture in China, Malaysia, India, Indonesia, import it here to the U.S. And I sell it all over the Internet, Amazon, Wayfair and a handful of other online retailers as well. Very cool. So you guys are going into your what is this, the third year of business? Yeah, this would be the third calendar year. We're still a really new business, but we're growing fast and it's been fun and we're learning a lot. And um, yeah. Oh, awesome. right. So it hasn't even been. Three years, which is great for anyone listening who may be in another industry looking to get out. A lot of people 
ask me what you're doing now since you have retired from the league, which most people look at as one of the most glamorous jobs in the country. And when I tell them my brother and his wife have a furniture company, they definitely pause, try to smile at me again and look at me kind of sideways. Like, how in the world did this guy go from NFL linebacker to a furniture salesman? So, <laughs> yeah, I actually have a funny story. I ran into one of my old teammates uh, when I was at a furniture. I was at a furniture fair in Las Vegas, and I ran into a former teammate of mine in Vegas. And he said, "Hey, Sharp man, what you doing these days, man? What you doing?" I said, "Oh man, I uh, I just started this furniture business." He said, "Hey man, bro, keep your head up, man. Keep your head up." <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, what do you mean keep my head up? I'm I'm living out my dreams, man. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> but yeah, I uh, the, I mean, yeah, we started August 2017. The first year, 2017, we did 300,000 in sales. The next year, our first full calendar year, 2018, we did 1.7 million. And this year, we're on pace to do three. Um yeah, we're, we're, we're growing fast and I'm excited about our growth. I'm really excited about some new products that we're launching this year that I think is really, really going to take the business to new heights that I'm really excited about. Um, I'm keeping those under wraps because I don't want anyone mm-hmm. listening to steal my great ideas. But, right. um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy where the business is going. And Basically you all have at least doubled your revenue numbers every mm-hmm. single calendar year yeah yeah this has far more potential to be more profitable than some of the other positions that people thought would be a better fit for you I think it's hilarious that your teammates said keep your head up as if you're like living under a bridge or something so (laughs) (laughs) yeah I know you know the craziest thing about I think it might be the human mind or my mind the thing the memories that I hold on to the stronger of the memories probably that are the most insulting to me I never remember nice things that people tell me. I only remember. Yeah, I I think that's kind of normal or maybe it's in our DNA. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it kind of lights a fire and it keeps you going. So if that's what it takes for you to be going, hey. I mean, I I expected him to say, oh, man, that's awesome, man. What kind of furniture are you selling, man? That's great, man. That's a really good good business. Everybody needs furniture. Nah, hey, bro, keep your head up, man. (laughs) Keep your head up. <laughs> I mean, after that, I would I wouldn't even have a comeback because I'm not I'm expecting people, even if they're lying, to say, "Oh, congratulations! How's your family?" Yeah. and change the subject. But anyway, like you said, you've always been an entrepreneur slash hustler, and not to give away any of your entrepreneurial proprietary secrets, but is part of your passion for furniture learning that the markup is so high on a product that I guess we kind of take for granted that hey, we have a sofa but everyone literally in America for the most part has a sofa or you just like the business. Is it the business model and the profit? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit of both. Number one, it's furniture in general is just such a staple that every, everybody has to have it. So that's really one thing that really intrigued me about it is it's, it's a necessity. It's a staple more than a luxury item, but yeah, I think like any business from when you're looking at it from afar, you see, oh, you can buy this for three hundred dollars and sell it for six hundred dollars. Wow, you can the markup is huge. But then, like any business, once you get into the business, you realize there's so many extra costs and unaccounted for expenses. And you know, with all the expenses, 
you kind of get a reality check and you say, oh, wow. You're not making a thousand percent. Yeah. So there's challenges just like any other business. On the surface, it looks like it's an extremely profitable business. Not that it isn't, but once you start accounting for all those expenses and a lot of things that people who are not in the industry have no idea that you have to deal with. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the hidden expenses is right now we we import 80% of our products from China. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously there's these tariffs that have been put on Chinese furniture, which right now it's 10%. It's a 10% Mm -hmm. tariff on everything that we import from China. So that's an extra expense every, every month we're writing a check to U.S. Customs for 10% of all of our goods. Mm. And that's just another detail of how you have to be on your toes and navigate through the ever-changing business landscape. Yeah, I mean, furniture, furniture is, if you're not into furniture, furniture just seems like the most random Sanford and Son situation to be in. I, I understand that. It really does. It just seems just, yeah, it just seems like you're, trying to play junk man or something but really selling furniture online is the second fastest growing niche out there i mean there's a ton of companies entering that niche people are buying more more people are buying furniture online than almost any other category right now i mean i just bought a new bed two weeks ago from amazon had panama set it up so boom yeah every people are buying furniture online like crazy and we're I jumped in because I wanted to take advantage of this growth. So mm-hmm. it's just, it was just kind of a coincidence, a blessing. I would say that when I, I mean, when I was, when I was selling furniture in college, the um, it, people really weren't buying furniture online. Then it just so happened that I was following a passion that coincided with the online boom. Right. So. Because I remember visiting, you all actually had a brick and mortar storefront. At one point. Yeah, exactly. And then you had a super cool um, store on wheels. Have you guys seen those, like, trucks with the clear, I don't know what the formal term is. Oh, the transparent glass truck. Right, the transparent glass trucks that people now do haircuts in. But I think the online space, like you said, it's just a coincidence that when you were growing the business, it happened to really boom. Because I never in a million years thought that I would get a bed delivered in a box, like, yeah, exactly. I mean, just delivering a sofa uh, via FedEx or UPS is the future. What makes Edlo Finch different? Why should people buy from you? You should buy from Edlo Finch to prove all of my haters wrong and to increase our our Hey, our that's revenue. the most honest answer I've gotten. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Edlo Ed Finch is super duper stylish that's that's the bottom line everything that we bring in is high fashion high style i sometimes i want to hear things blood raw so i will go into a furniture retailer that we sell to locally and i will walk around the store just waiting for people to comment on the furniture pieces that we sell in the store just because i want to hear it and people people just love it it's stylish it's perfect for modern millennials it fits perfectly in apartments and smaller spaces our velvet quality is top notch it's not this paper thin cheap velvet that changes colors it's thick quality soft velvet we use quality foam um yeah every everything about edlo finch is stylish and comfortable and that's what we stand by and we're just constantly purging out the products that aren't 
that don't meet those standards and bringing in more and more and more of the hottest styles with the with the highest quality. And I think it's really cool that you mentioned initially, and I didn't even know this, that you actually manufacture your own furniture. So you don't use a, a supplier and just slap your brand on it. No, we have pivoted away from that. We were kind of in, initially taking what the manufacturers were just their base models and then slapping our brand on it. But we've since moved away from that. We found a lot more success when we, des- when we design and manufacture our own products. And those those products actually sell the best because obviously they're unique and there's nobody else selling them. We're able to put our own dimensions, our own fabrics, our own legs. We're, we're finding those products are really, really starting to sell well. So it, it kind of takes confidence to get into a, a business and say, oh, we're going to just create our own products without kind of piggybacking what people are already doing. But now we've gotten that confidence to start designing our own pieces. And we found a lot of success in that. I love that because I remember when I was looking to furnish my condo maybe five years ago, I remember seeing the exact same piece in El Dorado that was in a really, really high-end place. And it made me angry. I'm happy I bought it from the cheaper place, but it's really awesome that you guys manufacture your own unique style and you have a lot more quality control in place. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot more headaches to manufacturing your own products because you have to do a lot more QC. You have to make sure everything's structurally sound. And sometimes you run into a lot more initial defects in the beginning. There's there's pros and cons, but and you and you're taking a taking the risk of introducing a product to the market that no one's ever seen before and just crossing your fingers that they like it, you know? Um Velvet is actually really, really, really trendy. It's our best selling um material in every category. Our best selling dining chairs are in velvet. Our best selling sofas are in velvet. Velvet is really, 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 really popular and trendy right now. So we're fully taking advantage of um, velvet. So when you say helmets to velvet, I mean, I really transition from helmets to velvets. I I have a little rhyme that I say in the warehouse and the warehouse guys love it. When I say, I used to smash them with my helmet. Now I got them on my velvets. I haven't come up with a second line, but that's my first line. And I always get a Right. So the guys that that I saw in your promo video on your website at lowfinch.com, they're part-time because you said you're bringing on your second full-time. Yeah, those guys are part-time. It's been, it's really difficult when you have a new business to hire a full-time employee, especially a good employee. Initially, we were thinking, hey, let's hire somebody for $10 an hour, $12 an hour. And not that there's anything wrong with making 10 or $12 an hour, but the the type of candidate you get is just totally it's a different type of candidate let me leave it at that but then when you open it up and say when you make a commitment and say i want to hire a full-time employee that you're going to pay an annual salary to the first thing you think is oh wow this person's going to be making more money than me because i mean obviously i'm not milking the company dry Mm -hmm. but they're going to be making more money than me and you know this is a full-time employee and this whole time when you started the business, you've been trying to cut all the expenses out, but you finally have to get to that point where you have to say, all right, it's time to pay somebody a real annual salary that's not um, a slightly above minimum wage mm-hmm. hourly rate. Right. It's t- I don't know what the market is like in Houston, but I know here in South Florida, it's really, really difficult to find quality talent, whether it's in banking, engineering, 
um, a manufacturing type of business. So you're right. It's a thin line between being too low on the pay and the numbers make sense. But after having to explain something to them multiple times and not saying just because you make a low rate that you're dumb, but I mean, right. There's diamonds diamonds in the rough, rough, but at least I don't have the patience to try to find that diamond and the quality of a candidate who you're probably looking for demands a higher pay rate. But that's why I think even companies now it's, there's so many independent contractors because no one is really productive. Very few people are on an annual, right. like a full-time employee. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it starts off as you being this entrepreneur and then you start to become more of an employee than an entrepreneur and you, you're doing too much work and not running your business. Which kind of leads me into my next question. Can you share perhaps some of your setbacks or challenges or curveballs in addition to the unexpected expenses like these tariffs. Yeah. Just I want to share with the audience some hurdles that people would have no idea that you have had to go through because on the surface you've only been in business like I said only a couple of years and you guys are doing awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean there's definitely there's definitely challenges. I mean just to be frank there's there are challenges being a black male in an industry that's in a niche and industry that's dominated and targeted towards white American women. So um, it's something that doesn't, it doesn't necessarily deter me or scare me. I embrace it fully, but uh, yeah, it's kind of a funny story. I was at a furniture market in North Carolina, the high point market, which is the, it's the biggest market furniture market in the in the country and um you know i was there just you know meeting meeting the meeting other people in my industry there to network and talk and see what the latest trends and whatnot and i was sitting there at the um at the cafeteria area or the i don't know like a little dining setup at the at the market and i sat down with the with the gentleman and I started, I started talking to him and I started asking him questions. Hey, where are you from? Um, what kind of furniture are you into? What do you think about this? What do you think about next year? Blah, blah, blah. He, he abruptly cut me off and said, hey, where are you supposed to be? Where are you supposed to be? And I said, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Who do, who do you work for? Who do, who do you work for? You, you, you need to go back to work. And I said, whoa. I said, uh. I have my own business. I'm here to network. Oh, 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 okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awkward. I mean. And at first you probably thought that he was joking. Yeah, I was. I Honestly, when he, when he said, where are you supposed to be? I was, yeah, I was I was kind of shocked. I didn't take it. I initially didn't take it as, as an insult. I was kind of thrown off. I didn't really realize what had happened until maybe 10, 15 minutes later. I said, oh, wow, that was interesting. Needless to say, there's not a lot of, black males there at all whatsoever i mean i probably saw one or two other other black males so it's definitely not the most um ethnically diverse industry but i don't i don't really take that as a big obstacle it's it's just it's just a reality right and um like you said at first i was really i was really hesitant to put my after an after an experience like that i was really hesitant to put my my face is the face of the business or put my face on our brochures or on our website because I I was really as a as a business decision I wasn't sure 
hey, is this smart? Are people going to be thrown off? Do they, you know, you know what I mean? I just wasn't really sure. So, but, you know, after a while, I kind of, you know, I've, unfortunately, many of us have dealt with situations like this. And it's nothing shocking for you and I, for example, we grew up around all sorts of people. And I think the older we get, the more nuances or instances like this resonate because we are more aware but it's not like we're completely shocked and it's definitely not like oh my god this is such a huge setback because right i mean it is what it is and and you just push forward i find it interesting even in light of something like that what made you guys decide to launch the african print chairs and furniture which i think are beautiful and i'll share a link on my website but how did that all get started it's kind of like a 180 from you initially kind of wanting to hide second guessing whether you should even be associated with the brand to being clearly overtly ethnic, if you will. Right. I mean, really, that came from talking to my friends, um, one of my best friends, Ralph Bouquet, who went to Harvard and is really into the African African culture, African prints. Um, and also the show Insecure with Ooh, I uh, love it. Issa Issa, Rae. Yeah, Issa Rae and Yvonne Orji mm-hmm. and kind of watching the the response from America from that show and seeing how how they're they're both directly from African descent. People just love that show and mm-hmm. I just I just felt like there was there was a need and a desire for for young black millennials to connect with Africa. You know, and I hadn't seen that in the furniture industry. And I saw business opportunity and also uh, a desire from Black millennials like Ralph and the following of Insecure, people like Molly and Issa, kind of to want to connect with African Ankara Prince. So I said, hey, you know what? Why don't I take some of these uh, African prints and mix it with some of the furniture that I'm already producing and let me see the response. Mm-hmm. And so far, the response has been great. I actually gave the chairs to this uh, Nigerian American um, association. They were having a panel here discussing, oh, cool. the, the, you know, the, the whole good hair, right? Discussion. <laughs> the ongoing hair. They use they use that on on the panel, and the response was great. Uh, people are asking, "Oh, where where can I get the chairs? Those chairs are great." Blah blah blah. So, um, oh, awesome. yeah, the response has been really good. But you're right that that has been a big it has been a big pivot for me kind of saying, Hey, is this a good business decision for me to be associated with this brand Mm -hmm. to go in and say, you know what? I think I want to fully embrace it and target. Um, I saw opportunity to target young black millennials and African-Americans with something that we can relate to. I love how that pivot came about because initially in our, um, in our discussion, I know you mentioned that the demographic, I guess, for modern mid-century furniture primarily is with younger white women, but you were able to discover just kind of by trial and error and think tanks with your friends that there's also another subsect of young Black millennials who may be just as interested, but I guess it's never been explored. So it was an awesome business opportunity. And and it was coincidental. I mean, Houston is Houston has the largest Nigerian population in the country. Who could be the best brand ambassador for this line of Ankara print chairs was Yvonne Orji. Mm -hmm. Yvonne is definitely super um, 
proud young Nigerian and I love her. So I thought that was a great, a great move. And with her boyfriend too. Yeah. He's the commentator. Right. What's his name? Emmanuel Acho, I think. Right, right. Right. No, I thought that would be so great. Like when she mentioned, I said, that's awesome. Yeah, no, exactly. So there's a, there's a ton of, there's a ton of Nigerian Americans here and there's a local artist here named to- Toby uh, Ingwe, who's Nigerian and is actually really good friends with Yvonne. And we were, we, we were working with uh, Toby to develop a, a line of African print furniture as well. And he's good friends with her. And he actually used our sofa in his last music video. Oh, cool. What's the name of the song? I want to go on YouTube and look at it. It's called... Uh, wait, Toby. Wait, wait, hold on. It's called, oh, it's called Shine. Shine. I want to pull it up now. Yeah, pull it up so we can um put it on here. We can direct people there. Maybe Toby can be a guest too. And then he can talk about the furniture. It can be all one big cycle. It, to- Toby's really, really talented dude. Um, I've just been trying to figure out different ways how to work with him. Other than just the fact that, oh, Toby's cool. <clears throat> Toby's cool. His music's cool. Right. But... I want to find a way there could be real brand synergy. Like we gave him that sofa for the video shoot. It's just cool. Mm -hmm. But at the same time. Like how do you leverage it and monetize? Then what's the next step? Yeah, exactly. It's just other than saying, oh yeah, my sofa was in Toby's music video, blah, blah, blah. Um, But I I have, I I have some ideas. I have, I've been developing a lot of really cool ideas. Some of them are just still under wraps. I'm developing new line of sofa that's almost identical to that one except it can be shipped in a UPS FedEx box. But it's, that's a whole nother story. Well, that's something people can look forward to. And Toby, if you're listening, we would love to have you on our show. So we've been discussing just minor, not even setbacks, but speed bumps rather. Mm-hmm. I know, and I'm going to go back to your football career, because honestly, out of your... How old are you? 32? No, you'll be 32. About to be 32. Right. Almost 32 years old. The majority of that time has been spent in sports. So this is not necessarily a new venture, but a new 100% venture because you're not distracted by anything else. And I've seen you go through some really painful injuries. And I'm sure there's tons of stuff that I don't even know about. Maybe an instance or two to the extent that you're comfortable with where you were like, just completely, I guess, shattered where I thought that I would be or why did I even take this path? It's not worth the money or my pain threshold. Because I think a lot of people, they see they see you at the U, they see you at Coral Gables, they see you on television on Sunday or Monday Night Football, and it looks all glamorous, like, oh, these people get paid all this stuff and all these people are here to see them, but they don't see what happens from the time that the play clock stops to the next time that they happen to be cheering for you drunk in the stands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's been definitely some setbacks from injuries, from new coaches entering either at the college level or at the professional level and you not fitting into their system and you having to prove yourself to them. I mean, that's an interesting question. I mean, the injury is definitely a huge setback. I've had, I've had nine injuries. I mean, nine injuries. I've had more than nine injuries. I've had nine surgeries. Wow. And I can't even quantify how many injuries I've had. But I've had nine surgeries, four on my shoulders, two on my left, two on my right, four knee surgeries, three on my right knee, one on my left knee, and a foot surgery. So I've had my fair share of injuries and surgeries um, from pulled muscles, broken bones. Mm. So... 
Yeah, those are definitely huge setbacks, uh, especially when I messed up my right knee, the knee I had the three surgeries on and just steadily trying to rehab from it not is not quite getting back and having a conversation with one of the athletic trainers in Houston and just being really frustrated and getting angry at him and just being like, hey, how come I'm not playing again? How come this is not better? It's been almost a year. I'm still not able to play. And then I'll never forget where I was when he told me, hey, look, Daryl, I'm going to be honest with you. We've talked about this. Some guys never recover from this injury. You might not. This might be an injury that you can't come back from. And that's just something that you're going to have to accept. And I'll never forget my whole body went cold. And I was just, I couldn't believe that this dude was telling me this. And I'll never forget after that, I literally drove around Houston and I signed up with every wellness individual in town. I signed up for a Pilates class. I went to this place called Westview Fitness Studio. I was probably involved in around the clock six or seven um fitness wellness curriculum. I tried everything. Wow. I had no idea. I had a, I hired a private yoga instructor, a private Pilates teacher, a private work. I, I hired literally everybody in the world. And <laughs> I, 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 w- I went crazy. I said, okay, if this is going to be the case, I, I got to exhaust every resource I have, every dollar I have to get back to playing. And then um, sure enough, I mean, I changed my whole life. I, I was carrying around vitamins all day. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, I went all in and I, I recovered from that injury. So and that really and you hired all sorts of experts outside of what the team provided. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I changed my diet. I was only drinking water. I was I started going to church on Wednesdays. I mean, <laughs> I went all in. I was thinking to myself, if I'm not going to play anymore, I'm going to say I tried everything I could. Right. to get back. And sure enough, after almost exactly a year to the day I got injured, I was finally able to come back and play. And I ended up having a really good season. And then the following year, I ended up having my best season yet where I led the team in tackles and broke a franchise record for tackles in a game. So that was, that was really a great moment of triumph for me. Just only just to come back from that injury. And I'll never forget, you know, most people might say, oh, they have enough class or self-respect to not go back to that person and say, hey, look, I told you I was going to come back from it. But I actually did. And I told him multiple (laughs) times in front of everybody. I said, hey, Roland, remember when you told me I wasn't going to be able to come back from this injury? I remember I couldn't stop telling him that. So I think that's very telling to your mental strength and persistence, because most people after going cold, like you said, would probably just take his word for it, maybe reach out to someone else for a second opinion. But when you went from everything to changing your diet to going to church, not just on Sundays, but on Wednesdays, you were like, I'm going to address everything from my spiritual to my diet to taking everything into my hands. So that's, I think you probably translate that into your current business too. And I know, I mean, the industry is so, so fickle. One moment they'll love you. Like I remember we were at the Detroit Lions game and you recovered the fumble, I think, in the last something. And that was like super huge and exciting. And then the next, as soon as you get hurt, people quickly forget about you. So it's definitely, I mean, I know there's probably other businesses too, where as soon as you're not on top, but this one is goes from zero to negative 100 way quicker than I think oh, most. It's, it's Yeah. I can't, yeah. You hit it right on the head. I mean, one minute you're, you're a superstar leading tackler. The next you can just be forgotten. Mm-hmm. Just absolute. Just how quickly can we get rid of this guy? <laughs> 
But yeah, I mean, that's definitely a character builder. It really taught me, the NFL for sure taught me how to just sit there in front of somebody and take some really cold, hard news. Right, and turn it around. And so I guess after something like that, clearly sitting on the picnic table in North Carolina is, is nothing. Like you brush that off and look at you, you've been able to turn that around. So yeah, I mean, um, I mean, a lot of times, all right, when I finish playing football, a lot of people will say, I mean, when I say a lot, I mean, almost everybody who approaches me about, you know, what are your next plans? What do you want to do? Blah, blah, blah. People will say, oh, why don't you go into coaching? Why don't you go into commentating? Why don't you do this or that? And to be honest, I feel I feel as though I could probably be a good coach or a good commentator, but I, I have a chip on my shoulder, so to speak, to say, hey, I can be so much more than just these cookie cutter roles that are set out for, you know, after you play football, you got to get into mm-hmm. coaching. You know, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing else that you can do. I feel like, hey, I want to do, and I, I don't want to be defined by those, by those roles. So, um Right. It's so easy from the outside looking in. People, fortunately or unfortunately, look at a former athlete. And like you said, they pigeonhole you into subsequent career paths. I mean, honestly, I do think that you would definitely be a top five national commentator on any platform. Um, the coaching thing, maybe not not that you wouldn't be a good coach, but I feel like with your personality and business savvy, I can see that. But you're right. You literally can do anything that you want to do. That was one phase of your life, which, I mean, you're still super young, so it's been the majority of your life. But, I mean, who knows? You can build up two or three companies, and hell, if you want it to run for public office, you can do that too. But do you think that you don't go back on the sports route because you feel like you would be like everyone else and you're not a basic man? Or do you legitimately want to try different things? It's more it's more so that I legitimately want to try different things. I'll, I'll be totally honest. I more so wanted to play professional football just as a means to say it was an accomplishment. It's the end of my college career. I want to say, hey, I play professional football, but I never, I never aspired to, to just have this crazy long football career. I even told myself, you know, what? I'm going to play one or two years of professional football and then I'm going to do something different. But then obviously um, I had all these plans when I had maybe a hundred dollars in my bank account. And then when you go to Houston and they're depositing six figures into your bank account, you're going to change your mind about uh, <laughs> these plans of, oh, I'm just going to play one year of football. And then I'm going to do this furniture thing. No, it totally transforms all your plans. And I went ahead and I tried to play as long as I could. I don't know anyone who who wouldn't if you could. So Yeah, exactly. You have the potential, and I know it's not all about money, but I think you can make way more money doing another venture. Because a lot of people, I don't know why they think that all these athletes are so wealthy. Clearly you all make far more than the average American, but there's probably maybe only five. And I could be exaggerating that are really making these crazy large contracts per year, but everyone else, I mean, if you stretch it across your life expectancy, that's really not that much, not that much money, right. particularly if you have a family. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's another thing that I forgot to mention um, was I'll never forget 
and I'll, I'll leave this coach nameless because he was one of my favorite coaches, but he stood in front of the team when I was in the NFL and said, let's be honest, guys, you guys are never going to make more money in your lives than you're going to make right here. So take full advantage what? of the opportunity and don't let this opportunity slip away because you'll never make more money than this. And right and obviously, I, I never forget things like that. And I'm glad he told me that because it lit a fire in me. And I was just thinking, hey, how do you how do you know I'm not going to make more money than this after I play football? How how who are you to who are you to tell me that you know? And a similar instance like that happened when I was in high school. High school coach stood in front of the whole team and said, "Let's be honest, none of you guys in here are good enough to play college football." And just moments like what? that are 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 just moments that literally light a fire in me. And I'm the kind of person that I really appreciate um, statements like that because to a certain extent, it uh, it never leaves my brain. And it, it always, that narrative is always running in the back of my head. And so, yeah, I, I like it. I guess when someone tells you that you can't do something, you want to prove them wrong, as cliche as that sounds. But right. unfortunately, probably 85%, maybe more, of that group that was listening actually believed it. And I don't know what your current or former friends or teammates are doing now, but I don't think it makes the coach a bad person, but he legit must've really felt that this was true. I mean, I get the, I get the point that he was trying to say, I guess, but I I always like to think that there's, you know, no one has limits. You know, you can't right. limit someone. I mean, the only limits, and I sometimes get frustrated even with myself, I guess if I didn't feel like I had as much potential, I wouldn't be frustrated because I would feel like, oh, okay, well, this is the path that you're supposed to be on. You should be satisfied with six figures. And when you yourself know that there is no limit besides those that you self-impose, it does keep lighting a fire. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's all, like you said, it's about knowing that the only the only limits are the limits that you set up in your own head. And if if you truly, if you truly have expectations and you believe in those expectations, then you're gonna come dangerously close to meeting them. If you really truly, if you really truly in your heart believe them, if you just kind of say, oh, I hope or I want or this, that doesn't really matter. It just really matters what you truly, really truly expect. You know what I mean? Uh, right. So as long as your expectations are are true to to your core. Mm-hmm. No, I I completely agree. What I really want to ask too, Daryl, mm. you are a father of a very young family. How do you juggle being an active father, present husband? Obviously, you work with your wife, but still, a present husband and a thriving entrepreneur. Yeah, so got some news. We're actually expecting our third child. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. Is this a joke? No, this is serious. Is this on the podcast? Yeah, this is on the podcast. Oh my gosh. Wait, you are when? So wait, you were pregnant when you saw me? I wasn't pregnant, but well, I know I'm just messing you... with you. Um, <laughs> oh, well, congratulations. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I'm going to have another a nephew at Nisi Poo. Yeah. No, we, we found out. New Year's Eve. Oh my God. I feel so behind. Every freaking, like, mind you guys, I'm the oldest of three. And I know my brother has even told me, oh, take your time, blah, blah, blah. He now has three kids. My sister has one. And then there's Brittany. For some reason, Daryl, I know it's not about me, 
But every time you tell me you're expecting, I feel more pressure. There's no more. There's no more pressure. I mean, after after this one, I may, um, I may take steps to ending. <laughs> close down shop. Yeah, close down my shop. But uh, no, I'm I'm really I'm really excited about it. Well, congratulations! This is like an exclusive. So yeah. Oh my god, I'm so excited. This is this is like see you you sound kind of scared and I mean honestly not that excited but no I'm really excited when I first found out I wasn't sure if I should feel excited or irresponsible because we have so many little tiny children I felt really really excited but then I said man we said we we're going to wait a little longer but oh well well I mean um, the only reason you feel like that is because you feel judged by other people and I know me of all people who's the most self-conscious person in the world I can't believe I'm saying this but like if it wasn't for the opinions of others then that's how you really should feel but at least you get it out the way and you can like live your yeah. life not that yeah, exactly. they're a burden but I mean it's a lot of work Daryl, I am so, so appreciative of you joining us today. And, and you start your days super early, are always really busy. I really hope that you come back for a follow-up segment because there's so much more for us to talk about. You're involved in real estate. I want to hear some updates on your furniture line, the other projects that you can't speak about right now, but you're in the works. So in the interim, however, how can people get in contact to either order furniture how can people get in contact with you? Cool. Yeah, that's a good question. I am going to switch into my uh, business character really quickly. Hi, everybody. I'm Daryl Sharpton. I'm here with Edlo Finch Furniture Company. We got the finest furniture in all of America. You can buy our furniture on Amazon.com, Wayfair.com, Overstock.com. We got the best prices, best quality in America. We got velvets. We got sofas. We got dressers. We got whatever you need. Come on down here. Get your butt online and order yourself some furniture. Or get there in no less than a week. I guarantee you that. I'm Daryl Sharpton again with Edlo Finch Furniture Company. Log on right now. Edlo Finch, E-D-L-O-E-F-I-N-C-H.com. Check it out. And I'm looking forward to seeing you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Daryl. This was awesome. <laughs> this was awesome. This was awesome. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for checking out today's episode. I'll see you next time. Don't forget to visit us at www.brithappens.com. Bye.